0: Welcome to We Will Fix You, the only podcast that nine out of ten children prefer to a heron smoothie. I, uh, I, as ever, am Roger Hart, the inventor of milk, and I am joined this evening by Mr. Dave Convery, the guy with the net who gets teenagers to be Power Rangers. Good evening. And Mr. H.J. Doom, Assistant Undersecretary for the Department of Screaming. Ah! Hello. Yes. Yes. Very, very solid. We, uh, we, we return to you in, in, <laughs> in what I'm certain is not your hour of need. But it is our hour of need. Oh, golly, yes. With a question, as is customary, from somebody who would like to be fixed. The, uh, the, the, the question is entitled A Tale As Old As Time, and I will read it to you. Dear Fixers, I have romantic feelings for my best friend's ex- Several years ago now, my friends started dating this person, of whom I had tangentially known for many years and had seen in the street a few times and admired from afar. They brought them, this person, this new deity, to my house one time to get my blessing for their union, and I felt something inside of myself start to behave weirdly. Initially, as the years rumbled on, I thought it might be jealousy that my best friend was dating someone other than me, because we were, and still are, slightly romantically inclined towards each other, and I ignored it because voicing it wouldn't have helped anyone. But as their relationship soured and eventually dissolved, I realised that I had a stonking crush on their now ex. More years rumbled on, and I've decided to deal with this by occasionally taking it out of the feelings Tupperware I have, and laughing at it, because really it's very funny. But as I neither want to tell my best friend nor their ex, with whom I am now also good friends, I am at a loss for how to digest this. Yours abashedly, Glorby. A veritable dilemma. Well now, Mr Convery.
1: Fuck me! I mean, not literally. It does sound like you have enough on your plate. I uh, have had a reasonably vanilla life, and I don't, I don't have complicated enough interpersonal dealings to sort of draw on that relate to this. So I am going to dip into my damp burlap sack of fictive tropes and uh, look for some solutions there, because fiction is derived from reality, right? Notionally. So we're probably going to find something to work with there. Most of these do assume that you want this to happen for drama purposes. Are you at all an anime character? Have you tried looking abashedly at the object of your affections going, huh, and then looking away while blushing for 26 episodes until it all just sort of resolves itself quite neatly. Maybe uh, you are more of a literary fiction sort of a person. Good news, you get to sleep with everyone. Bad news, everyone's going to be sad about it and it's not going to be anywhere near as interesting as you would think. Maybe high fantasy is more your oeuvre. Good news, it's gonna happen. It's going to be magical, it's going to be weirdly chased, uh, and someone is going to die in a wildly misogynistic fashion that nerds are going to argue about for 70 fucking years. Soap opera. They're your twin, better off just not risking it. Historical fiction. Exactly, exactly the same as high fantasy, but you are going to spend ages hearing about the exact type of mud slathered across your buttocks because the author read a paper on it and they really fucking want you to know about it. Epistolary fiction. It's already happened and you hope this missive finds them well. Young adult fiction. It's going to happen, it's going to resolve itself messily, but I'm afraid there are four more books before anything's going to happen and even then it's going to be mostly subtext. Horror fiction. Needlessly squamous crime fiction. You will get shot. I mean, none of these sound great, do they? There's probably quite a high incidence of hurt feelings all round, and a reasonable amount of murder, but don't worry, there is one more option to look at, and that is pretty much all British literature from the 20th century onwards, where people just tamp down their feelings real, real hard, and nothing bad ever happens to anyone. At least, I don't think it does. Who can actually bring themselves to finish an Ian McEwan novel?
0: Well, that's... uh, uh, let's call that a fix. I mean, goodness knows I'm not about to do any better. For my part, I imagine the actual answer is something along the lines of examining the comparative harms and benefits of telling everyone and clearing the air versus gently brooding on this forever and either finding a mechanism to move on or doing some boringly adult communication. Usually is, right? But since A you clearly already know that and B you wrote to us, I I want to talk about something that interests me rather more and that suggested itself to me from your casual metaphors. You say you have feelings Tupperware, you talk about digesting this, and I think to myself, well now, eating your feelings gets a bad rap, but maybe that's just because they don't go down so easy. Maybe we can help you eat your feelings without getting emotional indigestion. And we can all be happy. Now, this suggests a well-balanced meal, rounded out, of course, with a digestif. And, uh, and from there, it was only a short hop to the realization that the main obstacle and to to correctly and satisfyingly eating our feelings is obviously a lack of appropriate wine pairings. Now, we need to cover off some basics. What are our courses? We have an amuse-bouche of light confusion, clearly, a a starter of putative jealousy for a friend's affection and attention, the semi-examined romantic inclination forms one of those in-betweeny courses you get at fancy restaurants and then that brings us through to a main course of stonking crush and and a dessert of bemused confusion there are then these two little structuring notes recurring themes that really tie it all together as a meal the the ironized detachment and the the fear of alienating loved ones or at least causing needless drama um this is good. This is really good. As with all sort of tasting menus, there should be a couple of re- recurring notes structuring flavors that give us something to hang it off. I think this is this is solid. Anyway, um here I think the amuse-bouche is actually the easy one. I like to start a tasting menu with a light white um, anyway and in this case we can really lean into the confusion with the um, in a logical world's answer to is it meant to be like that, which is of course aged white burgundy. Merceau if you feel like springing for the name, but you really don't have to. Now what's so confusing about a fancy Chardonnay, I hear you ask? Well kind of, swill it around and take a sniff. The initial bouquet has you wondering why you just shelled out a bare minimum of 20 quid to lick the underside of a horse. It's got this chewy, almost savoury farmyard aroma that yet somehow completely works with the fruit and the light minerality. It's weird. It's confusing. You'll probably want a second glass. It's perfect for contemplating, chewing, and swallowing down that whole air of WT actual F. Aged white burgundy is where it's fucking at. You do pay for it, But, you know, by the glass, first first round, we're we're all cool. Now, for starters, you've gone with, is it jealousy? Probably not, but maybe. Um, And to help that slide down, I think we need a light red. Specifically, I think we need a German Pinot Noir. They're delicate with a mineral note that we're going to carry through as one of the themes. And they introduce just a hint of our next theme, which is a kind of chocolate spiciness, which I think really captures the ironic detachment motif. Um, these are beautifully structured light bright reds that don't overpower so you can still enjoy the romantic angle but the spice and the cherry and the very slight intensity they 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 give you the probably not jealousy they're they're also really kind of really underrated you get to feel a little bit edgy with a german pinot Noir. no one really drinks them um trust me though for you between-course palate cleanser, just slam a double shot of ice called limoncello. Um, it's sour and it's sweet, you're sorted. Have it with a little bit of shortbread, trust me on that. Now, for the main, I've gone a little bit left field. A crush is imposing and romantic, but also kind of not. It can linger and metastasize and become selfish and fixated, or just sour a relationship by squatting on top of your feelings in this big lump of emotive complexity. So we want something that gestures to romance, but isn't too sweet. Something that picks up our themes, but also feels a little unsettling. Maybe catches you off guard. So we're going to have a sparkling red. Specifically, we're going to have a, um, a Puglian sparkling Negro Amaro um, from right on the heel of Italy's boot. These are lightly sparkling, and they've got that chocolate and tobacco over big berries thing I'm talking about, but with some savoury pulling it together. You're like kind of... I like it. But do I, though? Oh oh, 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 yeah, I like it. These are absolutely storming wines with a gentle um, slight sour note, berries. They're fucking gorgeous. They're a little bit of a minority sport. They're wonderful. Absolutely fucking ruining a bottle of this alone in the bath is hypothetically something you could do. Anyway, um, at this point, I'm honestly not sure you need the dessert course, but I'm going to suggest it for for completeness. Um, You want something to round it off. A bit satisfying, but with an undercurrent of, huh, that was odd. So I'm recommending Valpolicella Amarone. Valpolicella is a bright, breezy Italian table wine that you could just as well have subbed in for that German Pinot at the start. In its Amarone form, which is like the third wine Pokemon up, uh, the middle one is Ripasso. the grapes are dried before fermenting. Um, what, what you get is something that's about 70% of the way to a dessert wine, while retaining enough kind of punch and earth to serve it with venison. For extra curio points, it's also actually the wine Hannibal Lecter pairs with the census taker's liver in the original print version of Silence of the Lambs. Just, you know, throwing that out there. Anyway, it, it, should, it should round things out nicely. Armed with all of these, you should have a solid selection for munching down on those feelings and drinking your way through them, and if not, you're probably drunk enough to text everyone involved and just really get it out there. If you do, I recommend PX Sherry to go with the ugly crying. H.J. Doom.
2: Now I find that it's often helpful when dealing with emotional issues to look back to see how previous generations have dealt with such crises and who better to model your emotional coping skills on than the Victorians? Surely an epoch which gave us both medicinal cocaine and the use of enemas to control masturbation must be full of worthwhile examples of how to best engage with the messy business of being inappropriately attracted to someone. Now the Victorian secret of dealing with unwanted emotions is deceptively simple. What you do is. Force your feelings down whenever they rear their ugly head and refuse, absolutely refuse to acknowledge they are real, still less that they are causing you even momentary distress. Then, using the intense nervous energy created by the displacement, you go on to excel in some other facet of your life. So, uh, take for example, decorated British soldier Hector MacDonald. Rather than openly acknowledge his same sex desires, He did the only sensible thing and joined the army, where he would be surrounded at all times by burly men, men he would bathe with and sleep in close proximity to. He had a distinguished military career, characterised by personal bravery and skilled command in a variety of theatres of war around the globe. And such was the power of his ability to repress his emotions that he rose from a humble private to such dizzying heights of fame that he was immortalised forever on the label of popular baking ingredient camp coffee. Now that's the power of repression in action. Of course, we don't want to go too far. After all, Hector Macdonald eventually shot himself after it became clear that he was having sex with local boys in Ceylon. But I think we can learn a lot from his example, provided that we ignore all the elements that cast doubt on our central thesis, that repressing unwanted feelings is a passport to both career success And the adulation of a grateful nation expressed primarily through marketing materials. Now in 2021 the military is no longer quite the refuge from reality that it was in the latter parts of the 19th century. Also it's widely understood you can't simply invade a less economically developed country simply so that your young men have something to distract them from the firm buttocks and shapely torsos of their compatriots. So what we need to do is channel that same desire To avoid thinking about things into something which feels like a colonial war of brutal imperialist ambition but which doesn't harm any actual people. Friend, I believe that it is high time that you conquered the moon. Let's be honest, that big round bastard has had it coming for millennia. If it's not vanishing behind some clouds at inopportune moments then it's sitting there all full and glowy and sending people mad and it's not even glowing with its own light. It's stolen, that light, from the sun, the freeloading prick. Also, tides, what the fuck is going on with tides? Water should stay where it's put, that's what I say, not bob up and down like it's in river dance or something. So, get on the blower to Elon Musk, tell him you've got a plan to sort out that rocky arsehole, and voila, you've got all the fun of a war of subjugation without actually having to subjugate anything other than some rocks. And if you do ever find yourself pining for the object of your affections, you will be safely 384,000 kilometers away. And the closest you'll be able to come to actually acting on your desires is whittling yourself a moon rock butt plug and trying to make a sex doll out of dust. War with the moon, that's your ticket. And if you don't end up with your face on a commemorative Findus Crispy pancake, or have a brand of fish fingers named after you, then I'm no judge of how this great nation expresses gratitude.
1: There is a piece of the moon in the uh, Aerospace Museum in Washington. And if you got a really good run-up, I think you could get it inside you.
2: (laughs) Well, that's just an added bonus. It's quite smooth.
0: And, you know, isn't that all mankind has ever dreamed of?
2: Absolutely. Moon rocks up inside them.
0: Well, with that, with uh, conquering uh, through martial force or sheer rectal exuberance, the lunar surface, I, uh, I, I, I feel we've amply fixed this scenario. Um, jolly good. Good work, team. Bravo. Um, if, 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 uh, if anyone else out there... Uh, on the lunar surface or otherwise would would like to be fixed. They can, of course, write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or on the little web form at hortonfonodraft.com or, I don't know, there's probably still a Twitter account. It's been a while. I'm terrible rusty. Anyway, why not ask us to fix you? I'm sure we'd bloody love it.
2: Ta-ta. Goodbye. Ta-ta.